Hi everyone, welcome back to Blue and Gold, a Superman and Booster Gold podcast. Welcome everyone to 2020. This is the first episode I'm recording in the new year. The last episode I put out, I recorded literally the day that I read Doomsday Clock number 12. And I just had to get something out, get my thoughts out, first impression thoughts out that day. Because, wow, did that series really become a Superman series? Uh, snuck in the back door as a Superman series. Especially for um, issues, especially issue ten, and then issue number twelve, bringing it home in a big way for Superman. Um, so, welcome to everyone. I would like to get an episode out more than once every couple of months, but I've just been busy the uh, with the new year. And but tell your friends that if they're big Superman fans or Booster Gold fans, especially Booster Gold fans, he's not represented as much. That this is the show to check out. Uh, one of the things I've been trying to do, one of the things I enjoy doing, is actually stirring up the pot a little bit, thinking about some, some, my thoughts about Superman that might be not the mainstream Superman thoughts. I put out an episode about last year. I put out, out, out an episode explaining why I thought Superman, why I think, actively think. Literally every day. No, I'm just joking. But I think that Superman 3 is better than Superman 2. Yeah, I said it. I stick. I stand by it. And check out that episode from last year if you want to hear why I, my, my, reasons, my reasons for that. So for today, what I want to talk about is some controversial opinions of Man of Steel. I'm going to defend them. I'm going to talk about Man of Steel, the movie, the 2013 movie, and my thoughts on some of the big controversial sticking points that people seem to have and why they're not problems for me. Um, I don't think the movie's perfect, but I do really, really love that movie. And then in the second half, for so before I dive into that, the Booster Gold segment is going to be on my favorite Booster Gold covers. So that's going to be fun. I'm going to walk through my favorite booster gold covers because there's some really really good ones some really dynamic really really cool cool ones so that's the second half of the show so let's get into the first half talking about man of steel now man of steel was released in 2013 it was the first movie since superman returns so 2006 and it was directed by Zack Snyder. And that's a huge sticking point right there for some people. They get triggered just by hearing Zack Snyder. Now, I I like Zack Snyder um, quite a bit. I don't love everything that he's done. So if we walk through his filmography that I can do off the top of my head, so if I forget one of his films, then it... Um, well, I'm by myself, so if I forget it, I forget it. But, so he's Dawn of the Dead. I only recently saw Dawn of the Dead in the last probably three or four years. And I like horror. I'm not, I consider myself a horror fan, but I'm not a big zombie fan. So Dawn of the Dead didn't do much for me. It was fine. It was perfectly adequate. I, I don't have any issues, but it, it didn't stand out either. Now, 300 came out when I was in college. Dawn of the Dead probably did, too. I'm not exactly sure when Dawn of the Dead released, but 300 
released while I was in college, undergraduate. And I had never read the Frank Miller graphic novel, and I had not, and I hadn't seen anything by Zack Snyder up until that point. But and so I wasn't on the hype train for that. There was a lot of hype for it. And so I I missed it. I did not see it in the theaters. I saw it shortly after. It got so much buzz that I just wanted to see it and checked out the DVD and was pretty much blown away by the filmmaking style. And yeah, it was a lot of green screen, but it was stylistic. It wasn't done to try to cover up seams or because of lack of budget or it might have been done for lack of budget, but it was definitely a stylistic choice that they went for, for this look that they wanted to replicate this comic book, almost frame by frame. And it's amazing. And I got to give a shout out to, because I don't know when it'll come up up on the show again, but a shout out to the 300 trailer. It's, it's made fun of now. It's kind of, but it's, it's one of those things that's stuck in pop culture is this is Sparta with, King Leonidas um, kicking the guy down the hole. But the reason it stand out for me and is special for me is not necessarily because of the movie 300, but because of how well they utilized Nine Inch Nails, just like you imagined in in that trailer. Oh my God. That, for, that's probably my favorite Nine Inch Nails song. And it is amazing in that trailer. I don't know why I didn't see it in the theater, because it was that trailer with that song. Now I'm gonna be doing. I'm gonna. I'm not sure what I'm gonna call them. Some sort of quippy little uh, number or naming convention for the episodes that I want to do that had nothing to do with Superman and Booster Gold. One of those is going to be for sure, without a doubt. Hard stop. Superman. Um, Nine Inch Nails. I love them. They're my favorite band who I didn't even get into until college, but I'll get into that during that show. So Zack Snyder made 300 and then Watchmen. Now I was a fan of Watchmen, the comic. And let me just say that I thought Zack Snyder's Watchmen was incredible. I love it. I love it to this day. I think it's amazing. I just got not for this Christmas, but for not for the um, 2019 Christmas, but for 2018 Christmas, Actually, shoot, it might be 2017 Christmas now. I had gotten, even though I'd already had the director's cut, I wanted the ultimate cut with the extra footage and the Black Freighter cut in, uh, spliced back into the film. The awesome Under the Red Hood documentary that's on that set as well. So I got I got that, and I think it's indulgent. That movie's indulgent, but a lot of the same criticisms that I could talk about well, not actually a lot of the same, but there's there's criticisms that I think are unwarranted personally um, for that film. Was I think that film's amazing, and I could devote a whole episode just to talking about that movie because that movie I think that movie is awesome. It's kick ass, and I think it has a it's a great job of adapting the material. So when Zack Snyder got the job, and then there was Sucker Punch, that um. Sucker Punch, I didn't see for a little while after it came out. I wasn't interested in the trailer, and I watched it, and it's sort of a blah movie. It's not much to it. But the when Zack Snyder was announced, just off of still the hype that I had and the enjoyment and the respect that I had for him after Watchmen, I was excited. I was excited. And 
one of the criticisms I'm going to talk about is how much it gets uh, Man of Steel gets uh, gets dogged on. It gets pummeled by critics and fans alike for the the mayhem and the destruction and the wanton destruction and that happens. And it's just they they say it's too much. But coming off of Superman Returns, we were hungry as Superman fans to see him really get in the thick of it and, and fight throw some punches have a have a brawl and superman 2 just didn't was decades before and as i talked about in the, my superman 3 is better than superman 2 episode i don't think the superman 2 fights hold up to scrutiny during th- this day and age and so i was ready for the aesthetic that Zack Snyder was going to bring so then 2013 hits and went and saw the movie and it was a special time we were just about we were on the cusp of having our first uh our our, our first uh child our first was born about a was born about a month after the movie was released i i didn't look back at the rele- the release date of man of steel but it must have been about june because it was about a month and our son was born um, in July. And so it was sort of a special time. We were getting ready to have this big change in our life and went and saw the movie with my wife, who was super pregnant at the time, and my father. And I was blown away. I thought that movie was what I wanted, what I needed. Well, needed. I didn't need it. I mean, but I certainly welcomed it and thought that the aesthetics that were brought were fantastic i think um it was a completely different take than superman the movie but it felt superman so let's get into the thick of it some of the criticisms so one of the biggest criticisms that's still talked about i mean all of these are still talked about and that i want to defend and talk about why they're not necessarily problems for me is the depiction of Jonathan Kent, played by Kevin Costner in the movie. There's a few scenes that, there's two scenes in particular that are caused the most controversy amongst fans, and that's primarily the, when when he says maybe, and it, it stirred people up right from, it was in the trailer, so it was right in the trailer, the, the, maybe line when, when when Clark says, what do I do? Do I let him die? And Jonathan Kent says, maybe. And I forget if it, which trailer it was. It was one of, it was one of the trailers that uh, came out. And in general, the Man of Steel trailers were really well received, which I'm going to talk about in a minute. But this line caused controversy right from the moment people heard it. Now, my perspective on this, and so, of course, the scenario is Clark, teenage Clark saves, a bus goes over the over a bridge, and Clark saves his friends, and Pete Ross tells his mother, and so, basically, Clark's outed, at least in, amongst these, these this little group of um, people who were there especially Pete Ross. I, I think everybody else, I think the, impl- the implication is everybody else was unconscious or I think if I'm recalling, I haven't, um, 
well, I'm trying to remember if when he's pulling them out of the water, who all has their eyes open and who all is unconscious. But for sure, Pete Ross tells his mom. She comes over and talks to the Kents. And Jonathan's upset. And he tells his son. And he has a talk about and 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 uh, the line, and I'm paraphrasing, is Clark saying, well, what was I supposed to do, let him die? And Jonathan Kent says, maybe. And whoa, that blew up into this big giant thing. And oh, this is the Jonathan Kent that I know. The Jonathan Kent that the, the Jonathan Kent that I know always champions for his son to be the ex- exemplar of virtue and righteousness, which is a, a portrayal that's a really valid portrayal. And I think that there's nothing wrong with that portrayal either. But this hits home even more for me now. It, it it wasn't a problem for me in 2013, but it's 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 even less as much as it wasn't a problem then. It's even less of a problem for me now because as a father, and I have two children now. As a father, you might want them. I see the struggle that Jonathan Kent has. I relate. Not that I have a scenario like this, but I can relate just as a father. To, to what the writers were thinking and, and, and what Jonathan in the narrative is thinking, he's protective of his son. I think as parents are. Now, everybody is coming at this from the viewpoint of, well, Jonathan's supposed to be the moral center who who shows Clark what what it is to be the superhero that he's going to be. And, and, and that's a valid point. But I, in the way that this series wants to be a grounded series you know, as in so much as like an alien from a, another planet comes and you know um as much as that can be grounded but they want to be have this series be grounded this portrayal of jonathan rings so true to me because he says maybe he doesn't say yes you should have let them die to stay to stay hidden to stay unknown to not out yourself but as a as a parent, you he could have he he didn't say yes you should stay hidden, but he didn't say yes you should have saved them and good for you for saving them. He was conflicted as a father, I think would be or many would, and I certainly would when it's such a risk to your child. Like what is going to happen? You love your child. What is going to happen if he's outed with these powers and these abilities and and that he's not from this earth and and you don't even know what his origins are jonathan knows that he has the the craft and so he's definitely most likely an alien and and you love your child and you don't want as much as you want him to save and be the virtuous person that he can be you're still looking out for your child and you're concerned for their safety. And so it, it maybe it shows a lack of, of moral fortitude that I guess people are used to Jonathan Kent having, but it shows me that he's a conflicted person because as a father, I can definitely relate to, I, I don't have all the answers to everything that I want my eye to what my, to my children's needs and the type of people I want them to be. I have, I have ideas, but when it comes to their safety and what I put their safety over other people's safety, it's a morally gray area and I completely relate to it. And I think it's, 
it's so relatable that, as I said earlier, it's even less of a problem. The more time goes on, this is even less of an issue for me because I just see that struggle that that maybe in the in the way he says it, Kevin Costner does such a good job of his voice says to me, and and I'm reading into what I want to take out of it, which is what we do when things aren't entirely spelled out. But in Jonathan's maybe, I I hear that I'm proud of you and you did what you probably should have done. But but what are they going to be the fa- what's going to be the fallout from this? And in the movie, it appears as like it appears as though there's not really a fallout. But your concern as a parent, what is the fallout going to be? Is this is this the end of my relationship with my son? Is this is this when the government's going to take him away now? And and is this is his safety, is his life going to be forever changed because of this event? And yes, he did a, a great thing that these, that, that, that his peers are still alive, but the safety of your child is foremost on your mind. And so I find that to be a non-issue for me personally. Now, I won't say that I can't understand people's criticism of it, but it's, it's, it's just, it's not a problem for me because I put myself somewhat, I suppose, in that scenario. And I know that I, I don't have all the answers. I don't know exactly, as a, as a parent myself, what I would wish for and, and, and hope in terms of my children's safety but r- related to another person's safety. And where am I going to rate their – where am I going to rate what I believe to be the correct thing for keeping my children safe versus – saving saving lives it's it sounds like it should be in incredibly black and white but it's not it's totally not and it's it's tough it's it's a tough scenario and so i think it works incredibly well so let's move on to the next jonathan kent scene that works for me works a little bit less but it's still not an issue it's 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 i'm not as big of a fan of the scene but i still don't see it as the biggest criticism that as big of a issue as everybody who talks about this movie seems to have is oh how dumb was it that clark let his dad die in the in the tornado this goes back this goes hand in hand with what i was just talking about um so i'm i'm going to talk about this scenario from the Jonathan standpoint and from Clark's standpoint. So as a refresher in the movie, there's a, they're, the Kents are driving and they get caught up in a tornado that's um, that creates itself very quickly and they're hiding under, or they go to under, under an underpass, which they say is maybe not where you want to go if you're trapped under a, in a tornado or um, in, is, in, is an underpass. That's been... The common wisdom for years and years and years, but I guess um, it's actually not what you're supposed to do is go go under an underpass, but regardless. And everybody's under the underpass, and Clark realizes that their family dog, or I'm one of the family, Martha or Clark, somebody notices that their family dog is not there, and the family dog is stuck in the car, and there's still people to save, or to, there's, there's some little children, I believe, that... Um, Clark starts to go towards the truck to get their dog 
and Jonathan says, no, take, take so-and-so. I believe he hands him a child and they all run under the uh, underpass. And Jonathan then goes and gets the dog, lets the dog out of the car and the tornado takes the car. And in that moment, and the tornado takes the car and Jonathan dies. And in that moment, Clark is conflicted about whether or not he should go out and save his dad. And Jonathan, uh, I believe, shakes his, puts his hand up and shakes his head and basically tells Clark, no, this let this happen. And, and Jonathan dies. And so the criticism is Superman should not have let his father die. And how and how ridiculous and and absurd that actually is. Like he could have, like you just don't let your father die under that circumstance. And and uh, the the idiocy of Jonathan for even for doing that. And he should have Clark just should have went and saved the dog. And first of all, people panic in scenarios like that. Luckily, I can't even. I've never been in a situation that's been that, where life and death has that has been that immediate, in in terms of the way things could go down, and I'm fortunate, um, so far that I haven't been in that scenario. But if take, let, let's take this from Clark's perspective for a moment. He loves his father and he trusts his father. And they have Henry Cavill play it, but he's still supposed to be a teenager in this scene. And he loves and trusts his father, and his father is concerned about his about Clark outing himself and his son's safety. And you know that what's on Jonathan's mind is to keep his son safe from the government, from people. And and Clark even says it in the following scene with Lois when he's. Because this is a he's he's telling the story to Lois and he's and he says my father died because he didn't think the world was ready. And children, I see the way my children look up to me and my wife, and they're only right now four and six, but I see the way that they look up to to us as inspirations and for guidance and the way the to. to to look to view the world and which also relates back to the earlier scene which maybe it makes clark a little not maybe he questions things and he isn't he's questioning how much he should put himself out there to save people due to jonathan's maybe and but i think that's incredibly realistic but with this scene he trusts his father his father doesn't think the world's ready and clark is still at an age where you love and you just trust your father. And then once Jonathan is swept away by the tornado, you could just see the agony when in Clark's yell that maybe he should have gone, but he didn't. He listened to his father and he put his, because, and, and I think that's the growth that this character goes through in the movie is that he does need to act when it's necessary and he went through this and unfortunately his father died and yes he could have saved his father but that's not the issue that's not the point the point of the scene is to show that he was trusting in his father so much and 
and put so much stock in his father's values and thinking that the world wasn't ready that look what happened. He, he and, and he harbors guilt for that. You can see that when he's at the, the gravesite talking about this with Lois and he trusts his father and and I guess there, there's a lot more father-son dynamic in this movie than you would think. I mean, I guess you might think there's a lot because there's always father-son dynamics with Superman with Jor-El and, and Jonathan. And, and But this scene from Superman, from Clark's perspective, he's still a boy, a teenager, but still a boy who's putting his trust and his love in in. in in what his father believes and his father said no hold on you just let this happen like i am not willing to let you out yourself to save me and clark let it happen but that that's that comes across again as super realistic depiction of what could happen in a family then dynamic now let's shift and talk about this scene from jonathan's perspective from Jonathan's perspective, he probably did something pretty dumb, and he and he probably and I'll and even I'll admit he probably unnecessarily sacrificed himself for a dog. But he didn't know he was going to die when he ran for the dog, and again he values and has such love and compassion that he does not want his son to live a life that is. Is I mean I don't know like the worst case scenario in Jonathan's mind is the government takes Clark and Clark spends his whole life behind glass and is poked and prodded and and scientifically examined for the rest of his life and Jonathan probably just sees these things and he just doesn't want and 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 the fear that he's worried that the world's going to have as this and and he doesn't want the world to look at his son like that. Like I take this very much as just being as protective as a parent can and probably, and frankly should be. Would it have been smarter for Jonathan to let Clark save the dog? Yes. Would it have been smart just to value all human lives over the dog's life in that scenario? Maybe yes. Maybe no. You could argue the validity of, of saving uh, dog's life versus a human's life in general, but I I don't argue that it was a fool-headed move, but it's it's not an unrealistic move. I don't see the motivations of either character in this scene, Clark or Jonathan, as unrealistic. And your heart almost yearns for them that they didn't make different choices in that scene, that, that, that Clark didn't save his father because he could have had his father in his life and that still causes him pain. And you see that in later scenes. And so I actually, again, think this is a fairly effective scene. I don't think the effects are super great. I, I feel like the, the plates that they used for the storm could have been better. That's why I don't think the scene entirely is perfect. Versus the previous scene with Clark um, and Jonathan and the fallout from saving the kids in the bus. That scene's flawless to me. And there's not really special effects in that sequence. They're just out in the yard talking. Um, and so I think it's... I, I don't have a criticism at all. But I do have some criticisms. But more from a technical standpoint for this scene. when And I think the scene works 
fantastically and the motivations make it and and what happens in the scene makes it a more emotional story for me all right the next one i actually don't have much to say on this because i am dumbfounded so listeners if you feel this way and 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 of course send me feedback on any of these topics if you agree or don't agree and um tell me your point i'd love to read some alternative viewpoints um on the show uh those of you who might have viewpoints that align more with the general consensus because i know most of these thoughts are going against the general consensus that's why i wanted to talk about them but this next one i just don't get people say that they were sold a bill of goods by the trailers that the movie just didn't deliver on and i actually don't have much to say because i personally think the trailers did a fantastic job of conveying the type of movie that man of steel was going to be in tone and level of action the brutality of the action the the wonderful cinematography i think the cinematography in man of steel is fan freaking tastic and the movie looks and sounds amazing and the music in the movie is amazing and we got some han zimmer music in the second trailer i believe but people talk about the trailers and that they were so like they didn't they the movie they got didn't live up to the trailers and i i don't have much to talk about other than i do not get it i don't get the criticism there at all and so I, that's this is one where I'd love to hear a debate about this unless people thought the trailers were going to be more the trailers made the movie seem like it was going to be more of a thoughtful thoughtful approach I don't know I mean it was the last third of the movie is quite a bit of action but I I don't I'm at a loss for when the criticism is that the trailer wrote a check that the movie couldn't cash. I just don't quite understand that. And so I have it here in my list of criticisms, but I can't even discuss it beyond that because I thought the trailers, I guess my final word on that is that I thought the trailers sold me exactly what I got in the movie theater. Exactly. I, the, the the tone, everything was in the trailers, I thought. So that's all I have for that. The last the last one I want to talk about is the Superman killing Zod. And I want to discuss this because this was a point this is still a gigantic point of discussion is 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 and it seems to be the majority of people. Now there are this one's a little bit less controversial. The other the other topics that I see or that I've discussed, I feel like are almost universally when I hear the movie discussed talked about as criticisms. But Superman killing Zod is I I feel like I hear people say that it is justified and unjustified, but I feel like I hear from media and, and movie movie critics more so that it was not justified. And Superman doesn't kill. And I have to say, as a lifelong Superman fan who's experienced every form of media this character has, from the radio to movies to TV, and knowing Superman's uh, moral 
his his moral outlook. I wouldn't say his code because he, it's it's not quite a code. I mean, it, I mean, it is, but it it can be broken. So I think that there's there's wiggle room there in John Byrne, you know, um, especially in John Byrne's run when he killed the three three Kryptonians, including Zod from the pocket dimension. Now that had a whole huge fallout into into Superman Exile, but it's there's precedent there. But I have to say that when I first saw this in the theater and Superman snapped Zod's neck, I had a gut punch because now I'm bringing this to the movie and bringing these feelings to the movie, but I know that how much it means to this character to be at a point where he has to kill because he's at a, he's at the end of his ropes. Like if Superman is, is put in a position where he's going to kill, it is a pretty damn bad situation. And I think it worked. And I think it fit. Now, a lot of, a lot of the criticism is, well, he could have, you know, covered Zod's eyes and saved that family. I think that's one of the most ludicrous and short-sighted arguments about this is is because a lot of the criticism comes down to Superman did it to save this one family because Zod has his heat vision going towards one family. But the one family represents humanity. They represent all of us. Superman wasn't killing... Superman didn't kill Zod to save the one family. He did it to save everyone. I mean, at the beginning, it's, it was telegraphed big time. At the beginning of the fight, Zod says, uh, again, to paraphrase, because I could get the wording slightly wrong, but he says, it's 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 either going to be you or me. One of us is going to die. And I wish I knew, you know, I had a, I wish I could quote that. I, I, I don't have it with, I can't quote it, but that's basically what Zod says is this only ends one way. Either you die or I do. And of course, you kind of write it off. Oh, it's it's a superhero movie. That's not going to happen. Superman's going to find a way to send you to the Phantom Zone, to send Zod to the Phantom Zone, to find some way to do this. And the fact that he felt like he was backed into a corner and that he had this, he had to kill this person is, it's not something that's taken lightly at all. Like I felt a gut punch, but I also number one, I. In general, I won't say that I might not have a scenario where this wouldn't apply, but in general, I subscribe to the notion that do what's best for the greater good. And what I mean in terms of, well, so for superheroes, I totally, if if Batman and the Joker existed in the real world, I totally think Batman should kill the Joker. Because that would do the best good. Every it's true, and I've heard it before. I'm not. The, it's not a unique thought, but I've heard the thought that every death that the Joker has, or you, you could apply Lex Luthor to this, or Zod. Every death after the hero first captures them or has an opportunity to kill them is on the hero's hands. Every time the Joker gets out of jail and goes on a killing spree. That's on Batman's hands. You have to get yourself, you have to get your hands dirty. Maybe, I don't think the law, I'm not for the law saying that we should 
just kill and we have we have capital even in states that do have capital punishment there's a whole rigmarole process but when we're talking just the heroes i don't subscribe to the never kill ideology i think i subscribe to the do what's best for the greater good ideology ideology and so i think superman was justified in killing zod because how many more would have died or could have died there was already complete and utter devastation and i feel like it was justified and it worked and it and it flipped the script i wasn't expecting that and i wasn't expecting zod to superman to kill zod and knowing the superman's morality it was a gut punch to me i literally i've never actually felt that before watching a movie i don't think but i still feel i remember that feeling of it felt like being punched in the gut like this is tragic what superman had to do the level he the place he had to put himself in to kill zod and what it meant for this character now i'm bringing baggage that maybe of of decades of being a, a, a superman fan that i'm bringing to this movie that a regular moviegoer who's not familiar with superman wouldn't have and so maybe it just didn't land and 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 uh the flipping of the script and that's why it's impactful is because it did flip the script and it's not what we expect that's what worked for me and maybe that is didn't work for people but i felt like he was justified and he was definitely not saving just one family he was saving humanity in that moment and so it worked for me so the last thing was just the um and i think i might have said last thing was the superman killing zod but the actual last thing is to talk about the criticism of the mass destruction of metropolis and people say like it's just too much just too much death and destruction and i just don't buy it it's a movie it it will it's not that i don't buy it that makes it sound like i'm invalidating their criticisms because if and if it doesn't work if if any of these things if any of these things that I've talked about don't work and they don't work for somebody that's why they don't like the movie well that's valid completely valid but it these things work for me and and they're not problems for me and so the the devastation of metropolis sure it's a tragedy that the world has never seen and it's the level of destruction is pretty crazy but i found it an incredibly wild ride i still find it an incredibly wild ride and it's exciting to watch just viscerally exciting to watch superman have this knockdown drag out punch and this fight with zod and the level of destruction that happens And, and it's mostly actually the world engine um terraforming that causes the most damage but the fight with Zod causes quite a bit of damage as well. And I just think it's so exciting. We've, we said it after Superman returns that we wanted to see an exciting Superman punching thing, punching things movie. And we got it. We got it in spades. That's for certain. We got the Smallville scene was amazing. This scene was amazing. And it just, it worked for me. And I don't, it's a fictional movie. I don't get upset I know some of the criticism was like it evokes 9-11 imagery too much and I just get upset. I don't want to see that level of destruction. I don't need to see it. But it's a fictional movie and it works for me. At, at the end of the day, it works and I'm not I'm not bothered by it. 
The last thing is not a criticism. I just wanted to, um, a criticism that I want to refute. I actually have a criticism of the movie that I'm going to put out there just because I don't know if, if I'll return to Man of Steel on this podcast anytime soon. But the movie is not perfect. I do think there's a glaring flaw in that the Codex plotline with Superman having the Kryptonian Codex and, and the DNA um, of the an- Kryptonian ancestors and that he could restart the population in his encoded in, in, encoded into his DNA. I don't think that was resolved. It didn't go anywhere. I thought for certain after Man of Steel ended that, oh, and Batman v Superman, this will come back up because Superman still has this, this, um, this MacGuffin. MacGuffin's not the right word, but he has this, this plot line that wasn't resolved that, I mean, I, I, I guess you could say it was resolved because we don't need to resolve it, that he just has the, the, the history of Krypton and the, and, and, uh, the codex and and the ability to bring back Kryptonian people in his in his body in his DNA and it wasn't and it's not resolved so that doesn't work for me and that was the one thing that I think um, makes this movie a nine point seven instead of a ten point <laughs> uh, I I'm joking I don't know if it actually would if I were to quantify it if it would be that high but I do really like this movie it is. My the my second favorite Superman uh, movie after Superman the movie, I think it works incredibly well, and I think it's fantastic. And and almost all of the criticisms that people level against this movie are non issues for me. I just wanted to take take the moment on this show to just talk about them and to talk through why they're not issues for me. All right, with that, let's move on to the Booster Gold portion of the show. So now we're into the Booster Gold portion of the show. And so today, it's fairly light on the content. But what I want to do is just talk through and, and talk about some of the my favorite covers. And I haven't decided if I'm going to put the covers in the episode description or not. That'll be a lot of work and a lot of images. Uh, so I may or may not include those, all of them, in the episode descriptions. But I did want to talk about them. So let's go. This is... These are in no particular order. They're just awesome covers where if you look at it, Booster Gold is one of the most prominent things on the cover and it's a really sh- and they're all really striking covers. So how many do we have here? 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 15 16 17 18 18 covers. Now unfortunately, that's the entirety of I went through my entire Booster Gold collection, and that's it. So on one hand, I'm going to be talking about 18 covers, but that's all there is. It just makes me think, man, we need another Booster Gold series. 
that I've gone through the character's entire history and I pulled out 18 covers that I think are incredible standouts. Now, of course, there's, there's actually lots of others that I probably could have picked, but um, for instance, if I was to talk about Superman's greatest covers and I cherry-picked them, there would be a hell of a lot more than 18. Um, so on one hand, it's cool to be able to talk about the entirety and you know, the second half of this show, but it's sort of a bummer that we don't have more. We need more. This character is awesome. We need to have more. So, getting started, we have 52, week 15, so issue 15. It says, Booster Gold Memorial Issue. Now, as I talked about in a previous episode of this show, and that I'm doing my reread of 52, which I need to get back to. I haven't read actually that much since I released that episode. So I have most of the second half of 52 to read. But this in this issue, uh, Booster Gold, the majority of the issues focus on Booster Gold, which a lot of the 52 issues, that was one of my criticisms, that it's not. If you took this issue out of it, the rest of at least issues 1 through 26 of 52, there might be an issue's worth of Booster Gold in there. But this issue is almost entirely booster gold focused and it's a really striking image of booster's visor with some tattered uniform tattered tattered uniform and supernova floating in the background which supernova at this point in the story is still a mystery and it says um it's got uh in quotes from the daily planet we assume daily planet but um his last battle a quote by clark kent so this is a really striking cover. Next is Booster Gold Volume 1, Issue 7. So this is the Booster Gold portion of the... There's an Action Comics cover that mirrors this. But this has Superman uh, pulling Booster's head up after he... Uh, it looks like shoved his face into a puddle and he's pulling it back up. And it says, the, the Man of Gold versus the Man of Steel. And guess who's winning? And it's a really striking cover as well. It's, it's not Dan Jurgen's art. At least I don't believe so on the cover. It looks like Booster Gold is by Dan Jurgen's. But Superman's face on here does not look like Dan Jurgen's. But it's a really striking cover. This cover would make would make me want to buy this issue. It's really cool. So that's Booster Gold Volume 1, Number 7. Next is the flip side of this, which is Action Comics 594. So the inverse of the previous cover. This time it says, also says on here, the Man of Steel versus the Man of Gold. Who's Guess who's winning this time? And it has Booster pulling Superman's face up from a puddle after having just slammed it down. This is by John Byrne, and it's awesome. I don't think we've, I don't think outside of this, I don't think John Byrne drew Booster Gold all that much. But this cover is amazing. So it says Superman versus Booster Gold. Again, Action Comics, number 594 from November, cover date November 1987. Next is the cover to Justice League Quarterly number 10, Killing Time. 
It's got an awesome image of Booster Gold, and he's looking very angry out 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 at the audience. In the background, the background uh, behind Booster just says it's a computer screen, or just says execute. And to be honest, I can't remember the story of what was going on in here, but the cover is a really striking, awesome, awesome cover of Booster Gold looking pretty angry, and he's. His stance is—he's—he's he's ready to—he's—he's he's angry and he's ready to do some damage. Next could be my favorite Booster Gold cover, and it's uh, "Brightest Day." Uh, it's Justice League Generation Lost, and it has the brightest day um, uh, type of uh, font at the top. This is during. This is going on during the brightest day post, post blackest night era of uh, uh, 2010. So this is Justice League Generation Lost number five, and it is the the variant cover. I had to buy this off eBay, but it's an awesome cover of Booster Gold, and he's shooting his um, blasters from his suit, and he's getting hit by some by some red rays. Um, some red lasers, and it looks like he's. It almost has a painted look to the cover, but it's it's not the co- the cover is amazing. I I don't have that much more to say about it other than it's it's amazing. Next, I have, and again, as I said, these are in no particular order. Just how I pulled them out and how they were down here at the in the podcasting room, but we have Booster Gold. Volume one, number five. So the last issue of the of volume one, or Booster Gold, volume one, issue twenty five, and it's Booster goes out with a bang, and it's got Booster Gold in a pretty triumphant kind of kind of pose with uh with his arms up, um, and he's it's, the background is sort of uh, stars that are kind of just scattered that are in a pe- grid in a grid pattern behind Booster. But it's he's very prominent on this cover, which of course it's his series, so he should be. But it's just a really striking pose and a striking cover. If I saw this on the stands, I would want I would be curious about this this character and I want to pick it up. Next is just a cool cover. It just it just screams eighties. It's Booster Gold Volume One Number Eleven, and it's got Booster in his. Um, in in his Miami Vice, he's got the Miami Vice sort of clothes on, sunglasses. It's he's got the the Booster Mobile for Heroes on the Go Booster Mobile from Chrysler um, instead of Chrysler, and this is a really cool. It it just screams eighties and screams awesome. Next we have Booster Gold Volume Two Number Thirty. Dan Jurgens cover and it's got um, Booster holding Michelle and and an atomic blast going off in the background and it says things are booming in Coast City and this is during one of the storylines where we revisit um, some of the goings on with Coast City and the Death of Superman era type things. I need to I haven't read this in a while so I don't remember all the details but it's an amazing cover. I, the the composition is very striking. Um, Dan Jurgens' art never disappoints. He's amazing. Michelle looks 
sexy but strong but she's being protected by booster at the same time all these things are conveyed in this image i think it's and just the coloring the coloring on this and the, the nuclear bomb going off is super bright and vibrant and it's a really really good cover next is booster gold volume two issue 18 and it's got booster standing in front of a, a time sphere that has uh, looks uh, Michelle in there and it looks like supernova in the time sphere and rip hunter and vanishing points in the background and a sword and I do not remember what was going on in this issue I don't remember the storyline so I need to uh, again volume two I need I need to reread I need to do a reread of volume two but this cover is really really cool just booster just standing there super confident looking right at right at us at the audience very striking next is just a fun one booster gold and the booster gold and the flintstones number one there, there only was one issue but the one shot that came out uh is there a date down here it must have been about 2015 or 2016 and it's got it's the variant cover it's not the standard cover but it's the variant cover by Dan Jurgens. When I saw that Dan Jurgens was doing a variant cover for this for this series, I had to check it out or I had to get it. So Booster Gold and the Flintstones got Booster Gold flying, and it's got Barney and um, Fred in a flying uh, Flintstone style flying flying uh, machine with a pterodactyl being the actual uh, the flying components in there. It's really really cool. Next is Justice League International number one from the Justice League International, I believe, volume two or the, the 2011 New 52 Justice League International. And so it's got Booster's new costume, New 52 costume, and he's coming right at us. He's right center, smack dab center in the issue. Very prominent. Of course, Batman's there because of course he is. But... It's got the rest of the team there, but Booster's right in the center, and and I got and even though I like his pre New Fifty Two outfit and his non New Fifty Two outfit and costume better, I still think the New Fifty Two costume works pretty well. I, I I it's a pretty cool pretty cool design, and I think this is this is the standout cover from that from that series uh, when it comes to Booster. Next is Extreme Justice number fourteen back to basics and it's got booster and his new armor and now of course i should know all the mark numbers for the booster armors but this is uh new armor for booster and the visor is a little bit different it's not his traditional yellow visor it's more of a bluish tint here on the cover but it's a really really cool um pose he's coming right coming right at us and he's pretty angry, and he's breaking through some cables, and it's it's a it's a striking image. Next is awesome in a '90s way for sure. So Extreme Justice number six has Booster give me my life back, and this is the image when shoot I'm blanking on his name, his um, the character uh, Booster's sort of supporting character. Um, supporting player from volume one dirk dirk this is when dirk comes back and booster confronts dirk and i can't remember all the details about why he confronts him but here it's drawn in the really image style booster and his 
his look. He's got this like spittle that's coming out from his teeth and just has a 90s look. And it's just over the top, but really, really good image. All right. So next we got Justice League America number 80. So the the Bwahaha era um, post post this is post post death of Superman. So after Jer- Dan Jurgens has left the title, long after um, Keith Giffen and and the team have left have left the title, but um, this is post um, Jurgens as well. And Booster has his new his 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 new armor, his new post death of Superman big armor. It's not. Particularly, like, I don't really like the armor, but the image of Booster, he's holding up some sort of uh, machinery. It's really, it's a pretty, it's a good image, even though I'm glad that the armor didn't last all that long, but it's it's a cool cover. All right, Booster Gold, Volume 2, Number 11. Booster Gold versus Batman and Robin. Now I believe this is around the time. I this isn't the actual issue, but I, it's around the time when Booster was still going back. It was during the um, just post the Jeff Johns run on uh, Volume Two, and so it was after Booster was trying to save uh, Barbara Gordon from the Joker, but it still was involving Batman and Batman. And during this run, sort of knew what was going on. They did Greatest Hero that you'd never heard of. Batman was in on that. But this is a booster sort of holding up his gauntlets, and Robin and Batman are are um, reflected in his gauntlets, and drawn by Dan Jurgens. His uh, his, uh, his gauntlet phasers um, blasters are going off. Really cool, really cool cover. Next, we have Justice League number four. So the uh, Bwahaha. The booster's first his um his introduction to the Justice League, and it's this is when they fight the I believe it's the Royal Flush Gang, I believe is the who they fought when Booster his first issue with the team, but it's got Booster sort of looking between somebody's legs and he's looking surprised. He's got his buzzed haircut there, and he's standing over um Captain Marvel. And Blue Beetle's there, and Batman's there as well. But it this is a really, really cool cover. And last are two versions of Justice or of, of Booster Gold Volume One, Issue One. And I pulled them both out of my uh, out of the long box because they're both very cool. So the the first one is the standard newsstand edition. 52 pickup. It's the cover, I believe, of the first trade, even of Volume Two, and it's got um, Booster flying, flying at us, and Skeets is there, and it's got a bunch of cards in the background um, because this is following up right up. It's following right up after 52, and so all the cards symbolizing 52 cards, and so playing on the card motif of 52 pickup, and it's a really awesome image. Uh, done by Jurgens, but then I have the retailer incentive, um, not for sale for promotional use only, just pencils version of this cover, and it's awesome. And now that I have both out side by side, I'm actually seeing some differences 
between them. So the pencils are, the pencil, seeing the pencils on this are amazing. It's really, really cool. And it's awesome to have a retailer version. I was just at my um, local comic book shop and I remember they just had it and they weren't, they, they didn't mark up the price. For, um, I recall now the same shop I go to, this would probably be like 30 bucks up on the wall, which I wouldn't buy it. Cause that's what they seem to do at the shop that I go to now is they mark up their, um, the variants quite a bit, but this, I don't remember. I don't recall it being marked up, but I'm actually noticing a little bit of difference here. Um, right above booster's head. So all the playing cards have a different, a different, um, different hero on them. Some of them are from earth one earth two different earths. Um, cause the multiverse was just discovered after the, uh, at the end of 52 and right above booster's head, on the newsstand version is a is a uh, the standard version is the question the Vic Vic Sage uh, question with his question mask so he's you know no eyes and no mouth and no nose and and things but in the newsstand version or in the promotional pencils only version it looks like Carrie Kelly's Robin from Dark Knight Returns. So that's pretty cool. I've never noticed that before. I think that's the only difference that I'm seeing here is they is that that version has yes, that version it looks like the only difference is that version has um Carrie Kelly. Also, the newsstand version has the barcode covering up I I don't know who it is, but there's a cool-looking, you know, uh gnarly-looking dudes uh, face on one, a playing card that you can't even see the face at all on the newsstand version because it's covered up by covered up by the barcode and this this version has um the sort of lines that would mark where the uh the issue would be like the the part of the issue you wouldn't like the part of the arch you wouldn't actually see although what's funny is it has those lines but that art it's it's not like a scaled down or um uh it's it's not like a the the newsstand version includes as much art as the pencils only version does but the pencils only version is is uh pretty cool pretty cool so i'm lucky that i picked that up because and i got it back even before i was really doing ebay and things i just happened to see it at the local comic book shop and it was really it was really striking and i thought it was really cool so that's all i have for today uh, covering Man of Steel criticisms and Booster Gold favorite covers. All right, everyone. I will see you next time. <laughs>